Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Oh, Jamie, let down your hair. Wow. Caitlin, my hair is so unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, we're going to get about, mm, do you need to travel from my shoulders to my scalp? Because that's about as far as we're going to get at this point in time. Oh, great. Well, then, yeah, absolutely no problem. It will hurt a lot. But like (laughs) Rapunzel, I'm extremely self-sacrificing for no reason. So (laughs) sure, it hurt me. Oh, do you actually, we just met, but should I like die for you you know uh-huh. um yeah welcome to the Bechdel cast we both have pretty short hair uh not like short yeah. short we're both we're both medium right now mine used to be much shorter I used to be the baldest woman in charge and then I know. and now I would say we're we're about right now it's a real equal leadership we're both kind of medium <laughs> right now which is which I yeah. think is a fair and just way to rule a podcast I think so I love parody equality i wish etc i wish i could do i get nervous about having a shorter haircut because i have a weird head shape and i have a lump on top of my head and i just don't like calling too much attention to my head jamie don't say those things about my friend jamie (laughs) look i've i've known her for a long time and she has a lump on her head and i don't have the confidence to embrace it Mm -hmm. at this point in my life someday i'm gonna be calling attention to this damn lump (laughs) Because that's where all the good shit's happening, right uh, in that little golf ball on top of my head. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name's Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante, and this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens, using, of course, the Bechdel test simply as a jumping off point. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. 
that Bechtel test, let me tell you about it because mm. there's some things about it that you're not going to expect. Just kidding. If you listen to the show, um, you know <laughs> what it is. Uh, we use it as a jumping off point for discussion. It is a media metric originally created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel Wallace test. Uh, many versions of this test. Our version mm-hmm. is this. Are there two characters with names of a marginalized gender who talk to each other about something other than a man for two lines of dialogue? Mm. And very often it doesn't happen very often, you know, in this day and age, in this economy, very often it does. Mm-hmm. Either way, we're going to talk about it for about uh, two seconds in one and a half hours. So <laughs> don't worry about it for now. Um, mm-hmm. And today we are covering... On the main feed, I think what this is, we've been kind of making a concerted effort as of late to uh, knock out some of our top requests that have literally been on our request list for, at this point, more than half a decade. Yes. Because, look, enough is enough. We understand. <laughs> there are certain <laughs> films, flims, uh, mm-hmm. pieces of cinema that you, pieces of cinema? No. I, I know that. Yeah, no. No. Go with it. Commit. Oh, my God. I just, in my head, heard a shattering glass sound. And I'm just like, <laughs> you could interpret that as my brain breaking, or you could interpret it as me punching through the glass ceiling, coming up with a new incredible phrase. Pieces of cinema. Oh, I choose the latter. <laughs> Wait, what happens at the end of Saw? <laughs> what does he say at the end of Saw? And then he slams the door. He says, game over. <laughs> that's what's happening uh in my head 24 7 anytime i encounter something that is confusing to me and mm-hmm. i just take a nap no i'm kidding and i educate myself and i learn okay wow jamie hang on Whoa. are you okay no 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 of course not of course not <laughs> doing really weird lately but that doesn't mean i'm not ready to <laughs> Have some discourse about, about the movie Tangled, Tangled with my friend Caitlin. Mm. This movie has been on our list forever. Yes, it has. Our listeners want this episode and we decided, you know what? It's time. It's time. And so that's what we're covering today. 2010 Disney animated film starring. I didn't really. I knew it was Mandy Moore because Same. I was a childhood fan of Mandy Moore. I know I've talked about this on the show before. I have had a haunted Mandy Moore poster. Right, right. I didn't know Zachary Levi was in this movie, which is interesting me to me because he's handsome. <laughs> that he is. And that's all I have to say. And also Paul F. Tompkins. Shout out to Paul F. Tompkins. Oh, yeah, there's some fun voice Paul. acting in this movie. Zachary Levi, Mr. Shazam himself. I do confuse him with Zachary Quinto sometimes due to them both being named Zachary and being handsome. Y- yeah. But this fair. is Zachary. This is Shazam Zachary, not Star Trek Zachary. Correct. And that is how we distinguish them. <laughs> That is, that is famously how we do that. There's on Shazam and there's Spock. This podcast. And there, there are two kinds of Zachary's. Shazam and Spock. <laughs> and Sprouse. There's three kinds of Zachary's. Anyways. Oh, right. Oh, you don't know the Sprouse is off the top. No, wait. Oh my God, I got it wrong. It's Dylan. I was thinking of his character, Zach, from The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. I'm wrong. Okay. Glass shattering. Game over. Slam. Well, Zachary, Zachary listeners... Please let us know which of the two Zachary options you are. Are you a Spock or uh, Shazam? We're back down to two. Yeah. Sprouse is not an option because that was a fictional character. (laughs) I'm more Spock, I think. Oh, 
I am definitely more of a Spock than a Shazam. Yeah. Well, because you didn't like Shazam, as we talked about recently on the Matreon. Um, <laughs> I really which... broke some young man's heart that day. Sorry, <sighs> sir. Anyway, okay, Jamie, what yeah. is your your relationship with Tangled? Oh my gosh. Um, I did not see this movie when it came out. I was in high school and I was like, I'm too old for this. I don't need I don't need to go see Tangled. Ew. <laughs> so I did not see it when it originally came out. I think I saw it a couple years later. My vague memory that is completely useless and irrelevant about seeing this movie was I saw it on DVD at a woman's house where I was modeling t-shirts for her question mark. Okay. At some point in college, I made money um, in a lot of shady ways in college. I sold my blood. Uh, and I did that I, too. I mean, it's kind of a, a time-honored tradition. A, a staple. In, in, the grand, uh, in the grand tradition of late capitalism, of course, we both sold our blood. Mm-hmm. And I also would do these like weird modeling gigs where I'm pretty sure you're getting super ripped off, but you would wear like wow. these ugly ass t-shirts that would say like, uh, you know, like corny early 2010s t-shirts that would be like, I'm trying to think. Like, good morning is an oxymoron, something like that. Kind of. I kind of like those better. I feel like auntie (laughs) t-shirts are fine with me, but this was like sassy millennial, like like bacon humor. It was bacon humor. Ultimately embarrassing. I hope they don't exist on the internet anymore. But anyways, this random woman was doing my makeup at her house and we watched Tangled. And then I'm pretty sure I got got my image exploited. I see. But well, I liked it. Uh-huh. And then I've and I've and I've watched it a couple times since. I think it's like I've never thought very hard about it, but I knew mm-hmm. a little bit about the production around this movie and I'm excited to talk about it because it feels like 2010, a very particular moment in time for mm-hmm. Princess Energy. So Sure. Yes. What's your history? I don't think I saw this in theaters, but I do remember seeing it probably within a year of it coming out. I was living in Boston at the time. Brave, me too. And we, oh no, wait, I was still at home. Never mind. Oh, geez. Well, uh, I was living in Boston. I was not um, a supermodel like you were, Jane. Yeah, yeah. People were uh, taking pictures of me in ugly shirts on their point and shoots. So, uh... <laughs> sounds to me like you were doing some like runway, high fashion runway modeling. <laughs> it was really really sexy what I was doing for sure uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, no I was um, just kind of chilling in Boston probably saw this with my friend JT I remember oh. liking it but not enough to be like oh this is like gonna be in my rotation kind of thing mm-hmm. so I didn't watch it again until I want to say 2019 maybe 2018 sometime around then okay. I went to a Friendsgiving celebration mm-hmm. at friend of the pod Sammy Junio's house love it and we decided that we were going to watch a bunch of movies Classic. and that those movies could only start with the letter T so we watched three T movies the first one of course being Titanic the second one being Terminator 2, and the third one being Tangled. Wow. So I saw it again, and I was like, oh, this movie, this is cute. This is this is better than I remember. I like this movie. But then it again, I didn't see it again until prepping for this episode. So rewatching it, especially through like the Bechdel cast lens, yeah. um, was an interesting journey. I, I feel like there's there's a lot to discuss. 
Yeah, this movie really is it it it's it's messing with you. And I think when <laughs> uh-huh. the first like maybe one or two times I saw it, it didn't really click for me because it is for its faults which we will be discussing I think it's a really fun movie it's like Mm -hmm. a good engaging Disney movie that doesn't feel like most other Disney movies but not because it's you know amazing and progressive it's just kind of different it's Mm actiony I like it Mm -hmm. I like the chameleon (sighs) Pascal that was the chameleon from the minions test wasn't it? Yes, it was. So, so listeners, famously, we all, Jamie and I both took a which minion are you test on your birthday, of course. I swear to God, I texted that damn quiz to every person I've ever met and <laughs> was like, I need to know what minion you are right now because like, is this friendship going to sustain or not? Uh-huh. Let's share our results, shall we? <sighs> Mine sucks. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Caitlin, name your awesome Minions quiz results. I got Stuart, is that right? I don't even yeah, remember now. Yeah, you got Stuart, okay, one Stuart. eyeball, the rock star. Ugh. <laughs> Unbelievable. Classic me, you know, classic Caitlin. A bunch of people in my life got Kevins, which is like, okay, that's... If we're, getting a Ke- if we're pulling mm-hmm. a Kevin or a Stuart result, friend for life. Yeah. Meanwhile, I pulled Gru. I got Gru. Mm. I don't see it. If if it makes you feel any better. Thank you so much. I don't know how I got Gru, but it <laughs> lowered my self-esteem immeasurably. I can't... And on your birthday. It happened to me on my birthday while we got the Minions menu at IHOP, which was gross. Disappointing. Oh, my God. Okay. Last thing before we jump into the discourse. <laughs> uh-huh. The Minions... I First of all, I don't think IHOP is one of our... Sp- sponsors knows? our sponsors <laughs> listeners are randomly generated and so we don't really know <laughs> right. but uh hopefully not i up because the minions menu we were so looking forward to it caitlin brilliantly decided we should go on my birthday and mm-hmm. then we get there and what is the menu it's just existing menu items with minions characters yeah like pancakes but with yellow and blue sprinkles literally minion come sorry but like that was that was the consistency it was gross are you suggesting that minions come yes yellow and blue sprinkles okay no 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 i was i was talking about the yellow goo oh the yellow okay so there was banana flavored goo and then sprinkles on top of that yeah the goo was cold so i do think that minions come cold (laughs) yellow banana goo okay here's the thing what? Not to derail this conversation even further, uh-huh. but similar to the does Beetlejuice come wet or dry scabs? Yeah. You're in the camp of minions come that cold banana flavored goo. Yes. I'm in the camp of minions come yellow and blue sprinkles. See, that's a fun kind of changing of the narrative because with Beetlejuice, as we're going to be debating come October, as we do every year, <laughs> I always say he comes dry scabs sounds like card shuffling you always say he comes wet scabs like a laser jet printer yeah and in this case i'm team wet and you're team dry exactly wow what we know for sure is that (laughs) minions uh they do not sexually reproduce Mm -hmm. so all of their sex is strictly for pleasure (laughs) and i celebrate that (laughs) which i think is um kind of amazing and progressive right minions progressive text okay transitioning (laughs) into yes our discussion around tangled so we both Uh have uh 
light, you know, light appreciation for this movie prior mm-hmm. to prior to covering it. I don't think either of us have a particularly strong attachment. Right. But I was thinking as I was watching this movie mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. what like as much as I was enjoying the movie, I'm like, what is this movie doing that Shrek had not already done? Yes, a question, a legitimate question. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I mm, well, I, <laughs> you know, my thing is like, I do think that Rapunzel has more, certainly more screen time than Princess Fiona certainly has a more distinct. Well, I don't even know there. I think that Fiona might do more with less screen time in Shrek 2001 is oh, the thing. Interesting. Because she is, I mean, look, I, did I rewatch Shrek before this? No. I should <laughs> I have, of course. This isn't a comparative study. I just, there's obviously, because Shrek is a ripoff of literally everything, mm-hmm. Princess Fiona kind of has a Rapunzel thing going on. She is trapped in a tower against her will. And needs to be rescued. Right. I would argue that Rapunzel has, in this movie, at least in this version of the narrative, she has more agency than Fiona. She There's no Farquaad. There's no Farquaad. Right. So there's not like a rival man. Right. The humor of the movie does not rely on punching down in the way that Shrek's humor often does. Excuse me. <laughs> or just like kind of outdated references the way that Shrek <laughs> tends to do. I, like, I truly did not mean to start this as a genuine conversation, <laughs> but finish. It, it was a joke. Mm, I know, but but I think still a, a legitimate question. Um, Donkey better than Maximus? Certainly. Oh, yeah. For sure. But I do I think, like Maximus's, I get, the, Max the Horse's arc. I don't like Max the Horse's arc. I say we cut Max, honestly, because oh. just my my central issue with this movie is that it's there's so much Flynn. There's so much Flynn. Yes. And there's like, why does Flynn, even Flynn's horse have an arc? Why not give that to Rapunzel's animal familiar, who is mostly just very adorable which mm, i love mm-hmm. but i'm like we're giving the horse an arc but we still don't have any empathy for the villain like i just sure. i was like too much too much flynn as much as i think zachary levi is handsome he's a cartoon in this so what <laughs> why am i watching this yeah is no i i agree i agree my very that. scholarly opinion i had <laughs> yeah i say max take him to the backyard and put him down that's what i say about max wow you want to send him to the glue factory <laughs> the look that came <gasps> over your face yeah we gotta turn max into glue i think he's he's mucking up the story i don't care about flynn's rivalry with his own horse well it's not his horse sorry i not just to get into I, semantics, I, but. as much as i love love a good horse we just went to medieval times i love a good horse oh my god went to the kentucky derby this year i love a good horse oh, yeah okay well that, not i think that brings though. us into the recap because let's talk about it here's the story of rapunzel or the of tangled of tangled oh which is also a huge thing why is the name different we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about it, it. yes Ooh. okay so we open by learning about Rapunzel's backstory, which is told to us by Flynn Rider. We will meet him for what reason later. Good question. And we are in, you could say, medieval times. Shout out to your recent birthday wow. celebration. Shout out to the Red Knight. Oh my God, Red Knight. 
Red Knight. Oh, Red Knight. King. The king of medieval times. Okay. Went a park. A, a drop of sun fell to the earth and a magic golden flower grew from it that had the ability to heal the sick and injured if you sing a special song to the flower. Put a pin in that. There is a kingdom uh, with a king and a queen, and the queen is Gregnant, and she is about to have a Greg, Mm -hmm. but she gets really sick, so the king's people, like the king's men, go out in search of... (laughs) This movie was missing a Rasputin. Yeah. Yeah, where was Rasputin? Where was Rasputin entangled? <laughs> I'm going to start asking truly <laughs> nonsense questions. Please. I'm gonna start pivoting into extremely bad faith analysis and being like, <laughs> so um, I thought this movie was feminist, but then where was Rasputin? Um, Another fair <laughs> question. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. So the Kingsmen go out to look for this golden flower to heal the queen, but there's this woman, Mother Gothel, who had already found the flower and has been hoarding its power for centuries to keep herself young this whole time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the Kingsmen find the flower and take it to the queen to heal her. She gives birth to a little girl with golden hair, and this, of course, is Rapunzel. Mm -hmm. And to celebrate the birth of their daughter, the king and queen release a floating lantern into the sky. Adorable. Love it. Cute. But then Mother Gothel shows up. Mm. Rapunzel's hair has the same magical properties as the flower, and Gothel thinks she can cut some of the hair off and use it to keep her young. But she discovers that cutting this lock of Rapunzel's hair takes away its magical properties. Oh, no. And turns that strand of hair that's still attached to Rapunzel's head, renders it unmagical and brown. Ooh, gross. Brown hair. Bad. Yucky. Yucky. That's (laughs) you and me found dead in a ditch. Like... (laughs) unbelievable Uh uh-huh so basically the hair needs to be attached to rapunzel's head in order for it to uh, retain its magical properties so gothel kidnaps rapunzel so that she can always have access to her hair gothel keeps rapunzel locked away in this tower hidden in the forest and raises rapunzel as her own daughter so rapunzel thinks that gothel is her mother Mm. Time passes, we see Gothel singing this special song, which activates the hair and keeps her young. Um, We also learn that each year on Rapunzel's birthday, at the castle far off in the distance, the king and queen release hundreds of lanterns into the sky, hoping that their lost daughter will someday return. This is something that Rapunzel always, like, watches and sees and loves this event of the The lanterns floating in the sky. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so then we cut to Rapunzel as a teenager. She's still living in the tower. Her hair is like a hundred feet long since it can't be cut because it'll lose its powers. And I've watched um, I've watched shorts on how I mean, I I knew that like it's extremely, extremely hard to animate hair. Mm -hmm. And after under fully understanding that process and working in animation, I was like, wow, this I wonder if if we have um, like legit animators uh, listening to the show. Does watching these scenes with the hair give you a panic attack because it stresses <laughs> me out, mm. and I don't even understand computer animation? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're like, wow, wow, wow! This was like the most expensive um, Disney movie 
produced to date mm-hmm. partially because of development stuff that we'll talk about right. but also because like the budget like how many people you need to have on hair duty alone <laughs> is just like wild yeah anyways yeah the budget shout for this out was... to hair animators <laughs> the budget for this was i think 260 million dollars making it yeah. one of the highest budget movies ever and the highest budget animated movie of all time i think i don't know if that record has been broken since then but it definitely has right up there uh, okay but it's just by other disney movies <laughs> so. right <laughs> I don't think we need to give them more airtime. But one of them was Zootopia, the movie I dislike the most. Right. (sighs) Okay, so we learn about Rapunzel's life, uh, which is pretty uneventful. Basically, she just spends all day trying to keep herself occupied. So she cleans, she cooks, she reads, she paints, she plays guitar, she puts together puzzles, she plays chess. She does all these things to occupy her time. And her only friend is a chameleon named Pascal. Mm-hmm. She gets regular visits from Gothel, but Gothel doesn't seem to live in the tower with her. So Rapunzel is pretty isolated. The point basically being that she wants much more than this provincial life. All the way down to like the, I feel like that had to be a Beauty and the Beast reference for when she gets out of the tower and there's that little, what do you call those goddamn poof plants? Um, With the seedlings that fly into oh, the air. Those are like dandelions, like a dandelion something about dandelions we're botanists so we should know this um but yeah that do you remember that that's like a very specific image in beauty and the beast that i always remember and then rapunzel has the same image but this time it's computers Uh uh-huh wow and she's in the middle of singing about how she wants much more than this whatever tower life based life hashtag tower life (laughs) so gross (laughs) okay so Rapunzel has decided to ask Gothel if she can go outside and see the floating lights, Mm -hmm. especially because tomorrow is Rapunzel's 18th birthday. Mm -hmm. And she feels that these lights, which we know are the lanterns that the castle releases, she feels that they're kind of meant for her somehow, that she has some connection to them. And Gothel is like, no way. I know what's best for you. It's not safe out there. You can't handle yourself out there. You're not strong enough to go into this like dangerous world. Yes, she's doing quite a bit of nagging poor Rapunzel. Oh, there's a lot to discuss with this uh, mother-daughter relationship, for sure. Yes, and also with just like Gothel in general, because for all of this movie seems to think it's subverting some of which it actually is a lot of which it isn't mm-hmm. i feel like gothel's like glaring like we can have sympathy for everyone but uh woman over 40 <laughs> right yeah okay so meanwhile flynn rider the narrator guy yeah who is a bandit steals a crown from the castle and is fleeing the castle guards along with his two kind of like thug buddies, the Stabbington brothers. Great name. Gotta hand it to him. It sounds a lot like Paddington also. (laughs) That's his evil cousin. (laughs) There's Paddington and then there's Stabbington. Um, (laughs) Do you think that that'll be an element of Paddington 3? Oh my gosh. God. 
That sounds like honestly a uh, robot chicken pitch that would have been rejected mm. from me. From you, yes, yeah, specifically. Um, <laughs> well, that's free for someone. Uh-huh. So they're escaping. There's this horse named Maximus, one of the, like the the castle horses. Uh, he's chasing Flynn, and Flynn escapes and but sabotages the Stabbington brothers along the way. Mm-hmm. And then Flynn stumbles upon Rapunzel's tower. He climbs it and goes into her room. And Rapunzel, startled by this intruder, bonks him on the head with a frying pan. There's a whole chat to have about that. Yeah, classic, (laughs) a subversive bonk. Uh (laughs) Wow, hilarious. Um, I actually have some, you know, some unexpected thoughts about this, perhaps. Well, I think I'm excited to have this discussion because this was a frying pan that uh, didn't super bother me. Same. We'll unpack. But it, but on first glance, you're just like, well, there it is. There it is. Right. Yeah. There's no weapons in there. So Rapunzel bonks him on the head and stuffs him in her closet. And then she's like, well, wait a minute. I am strong enough to handle myself. Mm-hmm. So she lets Flynn back out. She ties him up with her hair. She hides his satchel with the crown that he stole. And she's like, I will give you your satchel back if you take me to see the lanterns tomorrow night Mm -hmm. he reluctantly agrees and then she finally leaves her tower for the first time Mm -hmm. goes outside she loves the freedom but she's also racked with guilt for disobeying her mother which i really thought was different and i liked that Mm -hmm. yeah oh they showed that emotional struggle for sure Meanwhile, Flynn is trying to get out of taking Rapunzel to see the lanterns because he's a wanted man and he can't just go, you know, gallivanting around. So he takes her to this kind of like rough and tumble tavern with a lot of scary ruffians. Except but the Rap- twist is, <laughs> but the twist is they're nice. They're nice, especially after Rapunzel inspires them to sing about their hopes and dreams. Kind of cute. Mm-hmm. That song that they sing, where they're like, "I actually have dreams." Okay, can you guess? Can you guess what other Disney song that uh, heavily reminded me of? Um, is it the one? In Beauty and the Beast with Gaston singing in the tavern? No. It is Stick to the Status Quo from High School Musical because it's about, like, I seem like one thing, but here's my secret dream. I want to break dance. I like baking. I'm a skateboarder, but I play the cello. Anyways, that I was just like, wow, it's better. It's better. The High School Musical song. I liked this song, but I was (laughs) Uh like, kind of a flagrant ripoff i <laughs> stick totally to the status quo see what you're saying same premise wow. same premise incredible yep okay <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> that's why they pay me the medium bucks uh-huh. <laughs> for insights like that so they're singing about their their dreams and gothel is following them as are the castle guards as are the stabbington brothers so rapunzel and flynn have to run off and um, during this chase, Rapunzel and Flynn get trapped in a mine shaft or something. It's pitch black. It's filling with water. But then Rapunzel remembers that her hair is magic and it glows when you sing that special song. Mm-hmm. So she does that to kind of light the way and, and allow them to escape. 
Uh, she then uses her hair to heal a cut on Flynn's hand. And he's like, oh my gosh, wow. And then they're <laughs> vibing and they're like flirting. Yeah. And then he goes off to get some firewood, much like Shrek goes off to get some firewood after he and Fiona have... Men really do. Men who uh, <laughs> help you out of the tower do be getting firewood, don't they? <laughs> it is a don't trope they. at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so he's off and it's just Rapunzel. And then Gothel shows up and she's like, what the hell, Rapunzel? And Rapunzel's like, Flynn likes me and I am enjoying this freedom. And Gothel is like no way he's just sticking around because he wants that crown that you have and he'll leave you as soon as he gets it and she gives the crown back to rapunzel and gothel disappears with a with like a plan she, you can tell she's like plotting something yeah so the next morning rapunzel and flynn set off for the castle and they befriend maximus the horse along the way they get to the castle Rapunzel gets her hair braided and then she livens up the place with dance and music and drawings and everywhere that Rapunzel goes she just kind of inspires the best in people um, she's not like other girls Caitlin she's nice <laughs> question mark <laughs> she, she's nice she and Flynn also seem to be vibing more and then he takes her yes. out on a little boat and across the way, the king and queen release hundreds of lanterns. It's very beautiful and romantic. And Rapunzel and Flynn almost kiss. But oh no, the Stabbington brothers show up and they want Rapunzel because Gothel had told them that she and her hair are very valuable. So they try to kidnap her. Um, but Gothel shows up and knocks them out. Mm -hmm. While this is happening, it seems like Flynn has taken off with the crown and like betrayed Rapunzel. Much, well, not much like, not to keep comparing this to Shrek, but it's like that <laughs> second act point during Shrek where Shrek thinks that Fiona has, is like saying that he's not good enough for her when really she's discussing her own insecurities. Yeah. So a misunderstanding is pulling the couple apart. True. Yes. Mm. Then Gothel takes Rapunzel back to her tower where after examining all the art that Rapunzel has made over the years, she re realizes a pattern. The, the shape of the sun always appears, which is like the symbol of the castle and kingdom. And she realizes that she is the daughter of the king and queen. So she confronts Gothel, mm -hmm. now knowing that she was kidnapped and that Gothel has been using Rapunzel's magic hair all of these years. Mm -hmm. And they have an altercation. Meanwhile... Flynn is about to be hanged for his like thievery, but all the guys from the tavern show up and save him. Mm. So he gets on Max the horse and races to Rapunzel's tower. But oh no, Gothel stabs Flynn when he shows up. Which is, I honestly, I kind of forgot that that happened and I was like, whoa. I know. <laughs> I, I feel like you don't usually get that. I didn't hate it. Like, I, I feel like I'm always complaining about how uh, Disney villains aren't allowed to be, like, absolutely evil anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, she literally stabbed Zachary Levi. <laughs> that falls under the column of, of evil. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's more overt violence than we've seen in Disney movies in a long time. Like, usually there isn't, like... If, if violence does happen, it's only very suggested or it, ha it happens off screen or mm -hmm. someone falls off a cliff 
but like I honestly did not I mean if I was a kid I probably would have been pretty scared but mm -hmm. like make kids afraid again well uh, the so okay what <laughs> happens after this is Rapunzel strikes a deal with Gothel if she lets Rapunzel heal Flynn with her hair she will go willingly with Gothel but if not she'll basically fight every waking moment of her life to try to get away from Gothel mm -hmm. so she goes to heal Flynn but he chops off all of Rapunzel's hair making her the baldest woman in charge so that Gothel will die and Rapunzel will be free of her. But like Gothel's death here is very scary for a children's movie because like yes. the horror imagery of it all. Like if I was a kid and I saw that. they Well, they body horror the shit out of this character from moment one. Yeah. But you're t I totally agree where the ending is like brutal. The only thing that they, you know, I guess relieve you of is you don't have to see her go f splat because she turns into dust before right. she hits the ground. I kind of love when someone turns to dust. Mm. But it is also a very uh very witch canon to turn evil witch canon to turn to dust because that's what happens to the witch from The Wizard of Oz. She just um, Oh yeah, she just kind of melts and disappears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we have there's a whole discussion around Gothel, but that is that is a pretty even by like Disney standards 20 years before this movie came out. That's a pretty scary ending. Totally. Yep. And then the Rapunzel's whole being ready to die for we'll talk about that too because I was just like <sighs> yeah. I felt like that was uh, we're so close to like a really cool exciting you know princess subversion and then her agency is like taken from her at the very end of the movie. Right. Especially because like he cuts off her hair rather than yeah. like her cutting off her own hair. It would have been much better. <laughs> this is unrelated, but like he cuts her hair off into a perfect pixie cut. Um, <laughs> yes. Incredible. Well done. Um, uh -huh. But whatever. That's um, that's fun movie nonsense. But not fun movie nonsense was, yeah, I felt like her. And we'll talk about this in more detail in a second. But like her agency was completely like ripped from her at the peak of the movie's at the action climax. where she yeah. was like you know you have to be a self-sacrificing person to be considered you know a legitimate yeah woman and um and then he made the decision that ends up saving everybody yeah great woohoo and then and then Very we get closure with his fucking horse <laughs> i'm sorry i'm anti <laughs> the horse Get the horse that, out of here. Yeah, I I see your point. Yeah, that was very frustrating, and we'll we'll unpack that shortly. Pee -pee -poo -poo. But basically, the movie ends with Rapunzel and Flynn professing their love for each other as Flynn dies, and desperate to save him, she sings the song to you know heal his wound. But it doesn't seem like it's going to work because her hair has been chopped off and it's not magical anymore. But then her teardrop falls on his face, aka. A drop of sunshine, perhaps? And her magic works, and he comes back to life, and then they kiss. And then they go to the castle, mm -hmm. and she's like, hi, mom and dad. Mm -hmm. It's me, your daughter, but I have brown hair now. And they're like, they're like, well, we yeah, have I guess brown it's hair also. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why is there, okay, ugh, another, like, just another too much Flynn moment get Flynn out of that scene I don't need Flynn in that scene this mm -hmm. is like I, and also their reunion is wordless question mark oh between her and her parents yeah yeah why no words and why is Flynn there 
Great questions. Yes. Woohoo. <laughs> so Rapunzel returns to the kingdom. The kingdom celebrates. Rapunzel and Flynn get married and they live happily ever after. Yay. So that's the story. Let's take a quick break and come back to discuss. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. We're back. And I've let down my hair. Wow. I haven't. It's a mess today. Um, (laughs) Where do we want to start? I mean, should we just start with Rapunzel herself? Yeah, I, I would like to talk about... You know, her as a Disney princess and the way yes. that, as we've hinted at, like there are some subversions to the kind of classic Disney fairy tale princess. There are tropes that get, you know, reinforced in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot to unpack. Um, I would say overall, and I guess it depends on kind of what era of Disney princess movie you compare this to. Right. She falls into the very classic, like, you know, she's kind of stuck in the beginning. She wants much more than this provincial life. Mm -hmm. Um, She's not motivated by 
love or romance the way that like Snow White is. She's more. Well, she's yeah. She's definitely doing laps around the early Disney princesses. Yeah, it's more. It's closer to like Belle from Beauty and the Beast, where she longs for kind of yeah to to see what's out there in the world. She's a prisoner for a large portion of the movie. Yes, <laughs> much like Belle. So so there's that. Um, she I would say is more active and has more agency than most Disney fairy tale princesses of older generations so. up into a point. At least for a good amount of the movie. And yes. then there's a point where there's a, that comes to a screeching halt in a way that I was like really kind of bummed out by. Yeah, I like the I, I really I, I like Rapunzel. I can see I it's like the sort of thing where you're like I can see where they were trying to go with mm-hmm. her and also like the shut off of where they were willing to like how far they were willing to go because I do think right. that there are Disney princesses that came and whatever here we are comparing a group of fictional women to each other but they are all built from <laughs> the same mold like canonically right um and I do think that there are princesses that came before Rapunzel that like were more active and progressive than Rapunzel Mulan I think is the person who really comes to mind there of like Rapunzel's not topping uh, Mulan in terms of her agency and activeness and sort of fullness of story. Uh, But I I do think that she is, especially because this is like a Disney fairy tale movie, she seems to be, you know, the most active of the European fairy tale princesses, (laughs) of which there are a stunning amount. Um, I like that she is involved in a bunch of action sequences. Mm-hmm. I like that she at least, I think that a lot of them kind of come up hollow and kind of um, ring a little, I'm banning the word girl boss from my vocabulary because I think it's just like misused <sighs> at this point. And sure. like sometimes people say girl boss when they say woman with agency and it's kind of like I think it's sometimes used mm-hmm. in a misogynist way at this point and it bothers me mm-hmm. but I, I think that you know it's like I don't know the Rapunzel stands up to her mom several times but it usually ends up being story-wise kind of a hollow gesture because ultimately what severs her tie from her mom something Flynn does whatever right. but yeah but I, I don't know there were definitely pros and cons to her I like her a lot I like her a lot too. I like how she's written. I love Mandy Moore's performance. Mm-hmm. I like that she like uses all of the skills that she has and like participates in the action, usually in about equal measure. She rescues Flynn a number of times. He also rescues her, but it does feel like, I mean, uh, even though whatever we've already said this and we'll continue to discuss like I think Flynn has an outsized presence in this movie in a way that is not you know I mean there's Disney executives that say that that was very on purpose Mm -hmm. but given that that is the choice they made I like that they are usually fighting and rescuing each other in equal measure like it's not like and that she you know she's using her hair she's like Tarzaning around on her fucking hair. It's really cool. <laughs> uh-huh. She does fight and defend herself. She chooses to deceive her mom. She chooses to, you know, take Flynn as her hostage. And mm-hmm. I, I, I like it. I like her. Yeah. There's also like, she's cool. Not only is she able to engage in like combat, she also um, like chooses nonviolence sometimes, where like mm-hmm. that scene in the tavern 
which I think is also an interesting subversion of like that was sweet. what you would expect of like oh all these like toxic men end up being like I want to be a concert pianist I want to be a mime you know like all these artistic pursuits doesn't mean that you can't also be toxic if you're a male artist but I just (laughs) the point is yeah you know she inspires like she inspires people to follow their dreams and she inspires the best in people um but I agree yeah there there is an outsized presence of the male lead in the movie which and just men in general men in general like there's so many ancillary men in this movie I I feel bad because I like this movie and I'm coming down harder on it than I'm expecting to I was expecting to Mm -hmm. but I do I mean Rapunzel, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with you where it's like she has moments of action and combat and then she also has moments where she chooses nonviolence and it pays off in a big way. Mm-hmm. I think that that's good. I feel like often empathy and <laughs> listening to people is regarded as a very like traditionally feminine trait and sometimes that's presented as bad. As a, as a weakness. Yeah, when it's like when it the reality is like everyone should everyone has the capacity for that and everyone regardless of gender right can do everything right right and it's like (laughs) everyone is capable of empathy so that's I I like that she chooses moments and then in the same as much as I can't stand the horse she negotiates with the horse Uh uh-huh true one moment where and 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 it does feel like that's intentionally done because there are moments where Flynn is choosing combat again and again and then it's Rapunzel's talking and listening to people that actually resolves the problem right. in the tavern and with the horse because Flynn is also fighting his horse because why is this horse here <laughs> um and right. that like on Flynn's end his you know penchant for swashbuckling is you know masking a lot of his own insecurities which Which we learn about we learn his backstory we learn Mm -hmm. that he has like kind of put on this fake persona as a defense mechanism more or less he wants he wanted much more than that orphanage life Life. um so so you know like i i liked i liked that i liked Mm -hmm. rapunzel is like a more i feel like she had she has traits that your traditional disney princess has which is like extreme loyalty a lot of empathy kindness empathy inspires people to follow her your dreams like you're saying Mm -hmm. but also those are traits that are very important to who she is but it's not like all she's capable she gets angry she understands at least when her mother's disrespecting her she doesn't always seem to understand when Flynn's doing it Mm -hmm. but um Rapunzel is I like her I'm pro Rapunzel I just think that there were certain things that um undercut what a cool character they set up there such as and we hinted at this also but the big climactic moment at the end is her ending up with a man and like being in a hetero romance when the narrative that had been set up for her was I want to escape this tower I want to like go and see the lanterns which could be kind of code at for just like i want to 
see the world and explore and discover who I am. She wants to be where the people are. She, this oh is gosh. Disney princess basic shit. Right. She wants to, or and slash Quasimodo. Like <laughs> Quasimodo also tower cannon. Get me out of this tower cannon. Yeah. Evil person in the tower cannon. Exactly. Um, so, so she has these kind of dreams to, but then also like you could argue that like, her wanting to go out and 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 you know discover herself discover the world her you know find her place in the world part of a lot of people's like journey of self-discovery involves figuring out what type of relationships you want to be in and some of those relationships Mm -hmm. might be romantic so you know that is a a thing for a lot of people absolutely Um, but it just it still feels like here we are with another like Disney fairy tale princess story. And of course she has to end up in a hetero romance at the end. Right. And it's like they, I I think it's interesting and very like of the time, how they choose to skirt the fact that that's absolutely what they're doing. I thought it was like, I, I, Caitlin, I LOL when (laughs) they do this fucking like, gymnastics thing at the end where they're like well we didn't get married right away and it's like all done in voiceover it's like well, mm-hmm. we didn't get married right away but a couple years and we dated for a couple years and then of course we got married and then you still see the wedding like you do at the end of any fucking right. disney movie but they they do this really quick like oh no we get it that's like that's weird and you're like well in whatever royalty that's not actually really that weird but they're like but no we dated we're regular we're just like you and then we and then the movie ends exactly like you know it's going to end right I just like that was like I think one of the many like 2010 like we're trying to do something but actually we are not uh courageous enough to actually stick the landing on doing it (laughs) which is a lot of things in this movie I thought that like well actually before we get to Flynn let's talk frying pan is it frying pan time? Let's let's we're pivoting to frying pan. Actually, let's take a let's take a break. Yes, and then we'll get to frying pan. Okay, so be right back. Bean Dad, the dress, thirty to fifty feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. We're back. So, all right, frying pan. Time for frying pan discourse. So, I I mean, (laughs) let's kind of, I think that this is kind of, I have a feeling we're on the same track with this. And I think it's an interesting look. We've been doing this show for six years now. And Mm -hmm. I think that there has been a lot of um, development in ways to have feminist and intersectional feminist discourse during that time. Certainly. I think perhaps we would have had a more kind of, uh, I guess, there's a very 2010s, way to criticize some uh movies that maybe don't hold up as well now and i sure. and i think frying pan discourse um <laughs> is an area where there's been a little bit of shifting so yeah, well. with that in mind let's let's talk frying pan so rapunzel for people who haven't seen tangled but are still listening and we celebrate that <laughs> rapunzel her like go-to weapon is a frying, a frying pan, pan which we have said on this show before, and I think in some cases it genuinely is true, can be a sort of sexist trope. We've seen it many times, and I think in a lot of older movies it is kind of a sexist trope where it's just like, well, what would a woman fight with but a very domestic object? That's the basis of frying pan discourse. We we have talked about this trope a lot on the cast where what we tend to see in movies is combat scenes if women are allowed to participate in the action, the story is written so that the women are made to fight with household objects yes. and frying pan comes up again and again. Uh, we, we saw this in like Raiders of the Lost Ark. We see it in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Other examples that I can't remember off the top of my head. I think a lot of horror movies, this happens. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of kitchen knife stuff. The original Halloween that makes more mind, sense like, to me because that's of a knife. knife. <laughs> but um, there's also Disney cartoons this is taking place in. Like, 
sure plenty of times mm-hmm. i don't think by a primary character but i do specifically remember like a villager from beauty and the beast fighting with a frying pan like this has happened in yeah. animation live action for for generations yes generations so this is what women are expected to fight with whereas men in the same combat scenes in the same movie are equipped with weapons actual weapons that they fight with the implication often being well women can't slash don't know how slash don't have the skills slash could never develop the skills to fight with weapons but they do know their way around frying pans and other household objects Mm -hmm. ones that are especially gendered if you consider like oh well women have historically been expected to cook and clean so they know how to use like frying pans and brooms right and those are their weapons now right so like you said a lot of movies in those scenes do have those sexist implications but as with pretty much everything context is very important and when you consider rapunzel's context whereby you know whereby (laughs) wow whereby wow what can i say whereby (laughs) gothel controls everything that rapunzel has access to and this is a whole separate conversation and she certainly wouldn't be giving rapunzel access to weapons of any kind exactly the only thing that Rapunzel does have access to are household items. Yeah. And if you have an intruder, a cast iron skillet is a pretty decent weapon. It's heavy. It'll do damage. It's got a handle, so it's easy to wield, etc. I was kind of thinking, I was thinking of like, just because the opening song is like Rapunzel getting more and more bored of the mostly domestic-y kind of tasks and activities that are made available to her. Mm -hmm. Um, Which again, like that context is important. It's not like she has a choice of everything to do in the world and she's choosing sewing, cooking, cleaning. Like those are the only things she's given to do. Her life is very thoroughly controlled. So totally. The only other thing I was like, hmm, get those knitting needles uh, in in the mix. Mm. But it's like the cast iron skillet, I, I totally agree, is like the most easily wieldable weapon Mm -hmm. and boy does she use it she uses it quite a bit to the point where it becomes a motif throughout the movie where so and Flynn uses it himself as a weapon which I thought was cool so what happens basically the the trajectory of the frying pan is this Rapunzel uses it several times on Flynn when he first comes into the tower and, and she like does damage with it she knocks him unconscious several times she then brings it along on the journey outside of the tower and brandishes it as a weapon anytime she feels she's in danger. So that happens a number of times. Later, like you said, Flynn uses it as a weapon when he's fighting off the guards in that scene when they're at the dam. And he loves it. He's like, wow, this is such an effective weapon. I'm going to get myself one and of these. Is. And it is. And then toward the end, when the, the ruffians are saving Flynn from being hanged, one of them uses the frying pan to knock out a guard and he and Flynn are both like, woohoo, what an awesome weapon. So while this trope has been seen again and again in movies, specifically with women wielding a frying pan as a weapon, Mm. I feel like when you consider the context and what Rapunzel has access to and the fact that it then is used as a weapon by multiple characters across the gender spectrum, I feel like it's a little bit more nuanced in Tangled. 
I agree. Um, yeah, and I like that they kind of, it almost, it, it felt more like they were commenting on that trope that when it appears is often very baseless and like you were saying with the assumption that it's like this is all they would know how to use because mm-hmm. women are pans. <laughs> but in this case, they, um, I thought, contextualized it well. Rapunzel wields it as a weapon over and over. Mm-hmm. Did we, I mean, I, and, and I whatever i think that this is open for criticism but the fact that flynn validated it as a weapon mm-hmm. which like mm, but fair 2010 i see what they were trying to do yeah so yeah i think uh maybe maybe a bit of a twist on the pan discourse you were expecting huh <laughs> uh exactly so let's let's get into flynn a little bit mm-hmm. um so he's kind of he's a bit of, a, of an aladdin type um, I would say sure? he's, he's a stealer. He's a crimer. He, he, mm-hmm. he doesn't have a mama or a dad. You know, he doesn't have a parent. Mm-hmm. So he's like Aladdin without the class stuff, basically. Sure. So he's kind of swashbuckling around. Mm-hmm. The thing is, like, with Flynn, for the most part, I, like, don't dislike him as a character. I do think there's a lot of things he does at the beginning of the narrative with Rapunzel where he clearly wants to get rid of her. He just wants to get what he needs and go on his way. And I get that that's his character journey. He needs to realize that that's a shitty way to behave, but he's mm-hmm. pretty cruel to her at the beginning and like notices her insecurities and fear of her own mother. And uh, instead of talking to her about it, weaponizes it against her two times back to back at first he was like i've noticed that you are feeling a lot of grief and guilt and confusion about Mm -hmm. whether you should be like striking out on your own which to go back to rapunzel for a second i thought was i liked that they showed that in her Mm -hmm. where like it felt like you know for a disney fantasy movie pretty realistic of like her mom repeatedly guilts her for like thinking she would be capable of doing it anything so of course when she gets out and she enjoys it, she's like, I'm a horrible person. No, she's gonna this have is great. This complicated is- feelings. Right. Which is a relatable feeling to some extent for, mm-hmm. for a lot of people. But Flynn, you know, obviously like notices exactly what's going on and instead uses it instead of saying what is obvious, which is like, your mom treats you really badly and like mm-hmm. you should feel okay about striking out on your own like you're not doing anything wrong he instead says like wow it looks like you like he does exactly what her mom does and he does that yeah. a couple different times and as much as i appreciate that you get context into flynn's character and you get some insight into mm-hmm. why he is the way he is i felt like it was like a pointed thing that you get that for flynn who treats her the same way as Gothel at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. but you don't get that for Gothel. She is just a villainous villain who is old but wants to be young, and that is it. There is no more context. We'll get into discussion around her, but the whole mm-hmm. like, you know, old crone stereotype that like yeah. an anxiety around aging for women is a personal defect and not part of a larger societal pressure it's like oh that's that's on you which I thought was kind of like incredible that they didn't like in 2010 I felt like come on Mm -hmm. but I but you know like Flynn certainly grows as a character throughout the movie right whatever like 
he has an outsized presence in the movie, which is why you get the context for him that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that context is pretty effective, but he never like, correct me if I'm wrong, he never really apologizes for doing what he does at the beginning, which no, is very manipulative so. and cruel. It's not nice. That's not boyfriend shit to do. Yeah. I was frustrated by the romantic storyline because you know that that's where it's yeah. going, that they're going to end up together. For and sure. We saw it in Shrek. <laughs> we saw it in every fairy tale ever made. But most importantly. <laughs> most importantly in Shrek, where he starts out as a dick. Yeah, he's manipulative. He weaponizes her own insecurities against her. He tries to like seduce her at various moments where he's like, let me do the smolder. You know, he's just trying to like use various uh, manipulation tactics to get what he wants out of her and doesn't treat her well along the way. Uh, Of course, he does soften up as the story goes. I also don't really know why they like each other by the end. This is a a problem I have with most romantic storylines in movies where it's like, well, yes, they're both attractive and they are near each other. But what else? Why else are they drawn to each other in a sustainable way that would like sustain a relationship? Don't really see it here. No. At least, and this is like giving the movie probably credit that it doesn't deserve, but um, because Rapunzel has been locked in a tower for 18 years and has never ventured out into the world, mm-hmm. there was... I thought a big danger of the born sexy yesterday trope being leaned into where she like wouldn't know anything. She wouldn't know sure what common objects were or like how to interact with people or things like that. She does fall in love with the first man she meets. Yes. Yes. That is part of that trope, but she is able to hold her own as a person out in the world far better than you know, other born sexy yesterday tropes. I agree. And I think that that is like contextualized by the fact that she interacts with her mom all the time, who like doesn't seem to have a vested interest in keeping her away from very basic knowledge. And she reads a ton. So it's not like she right, wouldn't right. have any understanding of how that works. So that all made sense for me in context. Mm-hmm. And I feel like saved us a lot of annoying tropey like what is this um yeah yeah like i think the only moment you get that is when she puts her feet on the grass which i thought was actually kind of beautiful and made me tear up it was nice um but yeah so i i appreciate that that wasn't a part of the story Mm -hmm. but flynn overall it is especially annoying to me because and maybe maybe i could be talked out of this but her goal her desire that drives most of the narrative is Mm -hmm. to go see these lanterns which again you can kind of interpret as just a larger like i want to venture out into the world and see what the world has to offer and see where what my place is in the world because she also like feels this connection she's like who am i what these lanterns happen on my birthday is it related to me and my backs you know she like wants to figure out all these things totally all works for me and i wish that that had been the actual resolution of the story in the big climactic moment rather than and it's Mm -hmm. part of it of course but the big climactic moment but having her recaptured recaptured and then like she has to save 
Flynn and she's prepared to like sacrifice her freedom Dying in order to him. save him. And then, like we said, he's the one who chops off her hair thereby saving her which takes away her agency he i saves her from herself like i i just really didn't like that i kind of forgot that that was how it ended i remembered that her hair gets cut off and that's how like the villain is defeated but sure. i thought i was like certain that she cut off her own hair so that when, so when he did it i was like what that's ridiculous well here here's jamie's little hot take if she were the protagonist of the movie she would have but i don't think she's the protagonist oh. of the movie i think it's Flynn because of all this other stuff that we'll talk about in a second but like if the protagonist in the movie is going to do anything it's gonna be defeat the villain she doesn't Mm -hmm. defeat the villain Mm -hmm. that she has the closer relationship with Flynn has never met this lady like there's no reason even like storytelling wise that he would be the one to defeat a villain he has no connection to we've seen like everything I kind of wonder at what like if there there has to be a draft of this script where she does it because that's what the whole movie is fucking building leading up to we see her she has two or three I thought pretty effective confrontations and she keeps trying to escape her mother's grasp and then is not successful that doesn't even bother me like she's in this like abusive situation you don't always get out on the first try but it's a fucking kids fantasy movie she should be the one to remove herself from the situation at the end but she's instead ready to trap herself in that situation permanently in order Mm -hmm. to rescue the first guy she's ever met and it's just like i felt like it doubled down worse than disney movies that were coming out 20 years before this like it just it really bumped me out like she doesn't get to kill the fucking villain especially we have spent so much time like it would have been so satisfying if she and it still would have had all the ageist stuff going on right but it would have like i just it doesn't even make sense as a movie for flynn to be the one to initiate the ending but i i think that he's like the movie's protagonist honestly we see more change in him than we see change in rapunzel he's the first fucking face you see on the screen he's narrating the movie for some reason i don't even think she's the protagonist of her own movie which is why that that's like it bothers me i would maybe argue that she that is like a dual protagonist situation but why it should just be rapunzel he doesn't have a song i guess except (laughs) for the song where they're like kiss the girling i mean it's it's her desire and goal that drives the narrative that's true so yeah i would argue dual protagonist but also even so it's like well it's a princess movie why are we i think that that like that's something that bothers me is like They're like, the way that we're going to subvert the princess movie is by making a man a dual protagonist. Like, that just does not work for me. Not that it's like you can't have a buddy movie with characters of more than one gender. That's totally fine. But it's like, just because of the way this movie was specifically marketed as like, this is a new kind of princess movie Mm -hmm. where a lot of the princess movies suck ass and are like... (laughs) reinforcing every trope in the book and every stereotype in the book but at least they are clearly the protagonist i agree with what you're saying like flynn isn't the um sole protagonist but it doesn't make any fucking sense that he gets the final blow in that storyline especially because the movie up until that point seems to have a very vested interest in 
making Rapunzel way more active, especially versus how right. she is in the like Brothers Grimm fairy tale version of the story. That's why I feel like pretty convinced that there had to be a different draft of because this movie was in in development for nine thousand years, and its right. first draft was, and they said this themselves, not in this delightful way, but um, Shrekian. Yes. <laughs> Where they literally yep. are like, oh, we're going to do Rapunzel Shrek. Yeah. But then, you know, later on in production, they're like, well, we want to like give this a more wholesome core, a more Disney core. Mm-hmm. So you have those Shrekian elements <laughs> and then you have those Disney elements. And I think that that is the place where it's like chafing the hardest. Because if you're trying to have Flynn Rider be Shrek, first of all, it's not going to happen, honey. There is only one. Only one Shrek. And there's only one track and I wouldn't have it any other way, but, but it, it really bugged me. Okay. So let, actually yeah. let's, well, because it keeps coming up, the production of this movie, it was in development forever. It was originally uh, announced as Rapunzel Unbraided in October, 2003, mm-hmm. which the director himself described as a Shrek like version of the film. He didn't yes. think to because the word Shrekian wasn't around back then. <laughs> this was um, Glenn, Keane, Glenn Keane, who started developing the story in 1996. Mm-hmm. He eventually left, left the project. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like because it wasn't Shrekian enough. It wasn't Shrek- <laughs> He's like, not not Shrekian enough. I'm leaving. I'm out. Fair enough. But yeah, yeah. so it started as a Glenn Keane Shrek ripoff, which is wild because Shrek was made despite Disney. Right. Whatever. <laughs> the story's been told a million times. But, like, it was supposed to take place in San Francisco and revolve around teenagers named Claire and Vince, question mark. It kind mm-hmm. of sounds more like Enchanted than it sounds like right? Shrek or Tangled. Um, yeah. But anyways, that is obviously not uh, what ended up happening. Mm-hmm. So then eventually Glenn Keane leaves the project Rapunzel Unbraided is changed to Rapunzel, which makes mm-hmm. sense. Most of the princess movies are named for the protagonist, mm-hmm. um, with, I think, the exception of Beauty and the Beast. Um, but you've right. got The Little Mermaid, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. Oh, Jasmine's not the protagonist of Aladdin, so there you True. go. What Pocahontas, which... but. It is named mm-hmm. after her. Mm-hmm. And so the movie is going to be called Rapunzel. The Princess and the Frog is the one that comes immediately before this. Yes. So the story here is that Princess and the Frog comes out the year before Tangled. Yeah. And while it was like people enjoyed the movie, you can listen to our episode about it. There, mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we simply cannot get into it right now. There's right. pros and cons. But the movie was considered to have underperformed at the box office. And the reason that they decided that Mm -hmm. it underperformed at the box office is because the word princess was in the title. Yes. Which allegedly, per Disney executives, meant that young boys would not want to see a movie with the word princess in the title Mm -hmm. or a movie named after a princess. Yep. So... They reworked the story to have two protagonists, including an action boy named Flynn Rider, and they changed the movie's title from Rapunzel to Tangled, which I think rightfully caused a lot of controversy and I think annoyance within the 
company. Um, <laughs> yeah. I want to quote a former Disney Pixar animator named Floyd Norman, mm-hmm. who said, quote, the idea of changing the title of a classic like Rapunzel to Tangled is beyond stupid. I'm convinced they'll gain nothing from this except the public seeing Disney as desperately trying to find an audience. Uh, we've got another writer named Margot McGowan saying, can you imagine if Disney switched a movie title so it wouldn't risk highlighting a male star? It's awful that this kind of radical gender discrimination exists for our smallest people. Which at first I was like, what do you mean by that? She means yeah, kids. Children. Uh, little, little kids who come into this world with huge imaginations and aspirations, big dreams that get squashed by a bunch of billionaire guys who run massive entertainment franchises. Mm-hmm. People had fun with, you know, being like, what, what, what are we going to call Little Mermaid beached or whatever? Like, yeah. it is kind of an obvious thing. And then um, famous sexual harasser John Lasseter finally spoke out on the issue mm-hmm. um, four years after the movie's released in March 2014 um, saying that this was in fact why it had been done in order to and this is like very businessy in the in the weeds terminology that I didn't even know existed improve Mm. the film's appeal to the four quadrants um, yeah father son holy spirit and women Um, (laughs) there (laughs) but Lasseter Uh says quote there was an audience perception that these movies were just for little girls. But when boys, men, whatever, actually see these movies, they like them. So on Rapunzel, we changed the name and we called it Tangled. We did marketing that made the people who would not normally show up say, hey, this looks pretty good, unquote. Mm-hmm. And um, the movie did do very well at the box office, or at least outperformed what the princess and the frog mm-hmm. had taken in. And so I think that this ethos was considered like, all right, cool. More yeah. male protagonists. <laughs> I went back and watched two of the official trailers for this movie. Ooh, interesting. And both of them make it seem like Flynn Rider is the sole protagonist of the movie and ah. that Rapunzel is barely a character based on just like the screen time and the activity that both characters are allotted in the trailers. And both of the trailers really emphasize Finn's Flynn. What is it? Flynn's Flynn's swashbuckling. Yes. And like all of his like pirates, his like he's riding horses, he's fighting, he's doing all this stuff that is featured far more prominently than anything related to Rapunzel's story and her like, (sighs) I have this journey I want to go on. That is left out of the, the marketing. Exhausting. The movie. I remember a similar thing happening to, Moana, where I was watching Moana yeah, trailers and right. Maui, Maui was, was framed as the protagonist. So, Which at least they were able to name the movie Moana. <laughs> like, right. It does seem like, and maybe it was like Frozen that was able to turn this car around and like having dual female protagonists being wildly successful. They're like, maybe we don't need to go down this road of giving the love interest this outsized presence in the movie. I, I That's my guess off the top of my head mm-hmm. of why you were allowed to name movies after female protagonists again it's all money it has nothing to do with you know giving a shit about equity or anything like mm-hmm. that um mm-hmm. but um you know i'm sure that frozen being a billion dollar franchise contributed to that but this is such a bizarre moment for like uh, it it sucks because Rapunzel is a very cool character, and yeah. I don't, I, I don't even mind that Flynn has. 
I think it it is actually like a positive adjustment for the princess world that I mean such a popular criticism of Disney princesses is that they Disney princes is mm. that they have no personality and they're boring and you have no idea why she would be interested in him. Right. This movie feels like a major overcorrection of that issue. I think True. that Flynn having a personality is great. I, I <laughs> like that now and in Frozen, which is not a movie that I have any love for really mm-hmm. I like Frozen too much better. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the love interests have or like Anna's husband guy has a personality like you at least have some understanding of why or they're at least attempting to let you know why they're interested in each other I think that that's important and good there are still two white hetero couples giving a man more of a personality it feels like a real half step in uh sideways but but it's whatever (laughs) the point being like great let's have Flynn have a personality but that doesn't mean that giving him a personality means the movie should then be about, about him 50% plus. Right. Like, especially when that personality is, he's kind of a dick for a large swath of the movie. Right. Right. And it feels like he's like, well, it's okay that I'm a dick because I'm an I'll orphan. Get better. And you're like, well, but I do feel like they try, which is also a very Disney choice. And I know that that's a lot of like, I feel like with Rapunzel, she is a very abused person and she's still extremely kind and extremely mm-hmm. empathetic and wants to see the best in people. So it doesn't really play for me that it's like, well, Flynn grew up in an orphanage, which obviously is an extremely difficult thing, but they've both mm-hmm. had difficult childhoods. It doesn't make it okay that he treats her like garbage. Like, yeah. So which does that transition us to the mother daughter relationship discussion? Let's talk about, Every movie's about fathers and sons. Not this time, baby. This it's time. about it's about mothers and daughters and Flynn Rider <laughs> for some reason. I have a spiel about this. Go off. Here we go. Go off. Thank you. So, Disney fairy tale, Disney fairy tales. I'm as we've discussed. <laughs> yes, as we've discussed endlessly on the podcast, mm-hmm. they have a sordid history with mother-daughter relationships because usually the mother is dead Mm -hmm. and or there's an evil stepmother situation they don't kill the mother in this one they just almost kill her they just (laughs) don't let her talk they don't let her speak and she almost (laughs) dies but then they're like but then we saved her we saved her and she's good now and she's good and and in so in this movie there is an evil foster mother slash kidnapper slash captor but because rapunzel thinks this is her real mother for most of the movie let's just call it a mother-daughter relationship even though it's for sure i mean she was raised as gothel's daughter exactly yes so we've got so let's examine gothel for a moment she is emotionally abusive she's manipulative she gaslights rapunzel constantly she's obviously using rapunzel for her powers so gothel is dependent on rapunzel and then has created a situation where Rapunzel has no choice but to be dependent on Gothel. And part of this is Gothel completely isolating Rapunzel and being 
very controlling of Rapunzel's life and what she does and does not have access to. Mm-hmm. Gothel also makes insulting remarks to Rapunzel that she insists are jokes and then says things like, stop taking everything so seriously. Gothel blames her own abusive behavior on Rapunzel and then says things like, you're making me the bad guy trying to make Rapunzel feel guilty. Mm-hmm. So even though we do not have a lot of great examples of loving, caring, non-toxic mother-daughter relationships in movies because most movies aren't about mother-daughter relationships. Mm. The relationship we see in this movie is very similar to plenty of real-life mother-daughter relationships. And I know that there are people who feel very seen by this particular relationship dynamic which is important people like regardless of their circumstances want to feel represented and seen and validated and and I think like the focus on a parent-child relationship in a movie of this genre that isn't uncomplicated is cool and I feel Mm -hmm. like it kind of um I don't know I'm trying to think of other parent like in earlier Disney movies parents are either absent dead or you have like a well-meaning but ultimately harmful father whose behavior is never really called out thinking about king triton Mm. and bell's Mm -hmm. goofy dad Mm -hmm. (laughs) who both um you know like i don't know maybe there is like some introspection on king triton because he faces a consequence which is his daughter uh bails on him but mm-hmm. all that to say, like, y- you don't get a focus like this with mothers specifically very often. Sure. And it's like, I don't know, like, I, I'd be interested to read how people feel about it. Because it is like, I don't know, having a deeply narcissistic person in your life from a very young age is really traumatic and like fucks For with sure. your perception of the world. And I like that going back to seeing Rapunzel's like back and forth of like elation and deep mm-hmm. guilt like mm-hmm. that really follows that and tracks. affects you yeah like I, yeah. I thought that that was really um whatever I mean it's a Disney movie it's not subtle um <laughs> uh-huh. but yeah I, it's I'm kind of a, like the Mother Gothel stuff is tricky because I'm of two minds about it Same. where on one end I do think that representing um or like just having a storyline with a child growing up with a very narcissistic manipulative parent mm-hmm. is interesting and I do totally understand why a lot of people felt seen in that mm-hmm. and I see a different side of it where it's like is this not just another evil older woman who is being demonized for wanting to be young and it's it gets tricky because it's like yes. you should be angry at her for the way she is doing it the fact that she in the same way that like you almost think of like the queen and snow white to go way back in disney princess canon where kind of a similar motivation where Mm -hmm. the queen wants snow white to die because she's younger and more beautiful than her (laughs) gothel is trapping rapunzel and you know manipulating her day after day because she needs her to remain appearing younger and uh quote-unquote more beautiful right. to prevent her from aging yeah she's like rapunzel is like the tuck everlasting tree of the movie so i feel like the mm. the little wrench in this is that she needs to manipulate another woman in order to remain young it becomes a rivalry between these two women right. so it's so it, but i also feel like it having an older woman 
like making it seem it's it's almost like uh, patriarchy the guy kind of thing where it's like oh well her fixation on appearing young that's an evil quality and like there's no introspection yeah. to like well what about the world has made her feel that way because that's a very legitimate certainly in 2010 and also now and probably for a long time women are going to be made to feel bad about aging and they will be viewed as less valuable by society for visibly mm-hmm. aging right like that's just the the factiest fact there is unfortunately right i i, I feel similarly conflicted because again like I think on the podcast, at least I've been guilty of seeing a toxic mother-daughter relationship and just kind of writing it off as like, oh, well, this is two women being pinned against each other and sure. I don't like it. But and, and there's a lot more nuance to that because there are a lot of toxic relationship dynamics in real life that absolutely many, if not most people, have experienced they deserve to be explored as much as positive relationships do on screen. But I just think it's very pointed that this is the first one you're seeing and the reason that it's toxic. I think like, yeah, that's where it gets a little muddled. It feels like this, like, again, it's like a lot of this movie where like some of it is exploring new territory and like pushing forward in an interesting way. But even like the attempt to do that in this movie is still like hampered with these older tropes that I feel like gives what should be something that is and I'm glad that it has really worked and made a lot of people's family dynamics feel validated and and seen in Mm -hmm. a huge movie but it's just like I feel like it takes away from it a little bit by having it hampered by those old tropes yeah the main issue for me with this particular aspect of the story is that we end up with a pretty one-dimensional female villain yeah I love a female villain especially if oh hell yeah their villainy is contextualized and not that you necessarily need context for every single movie villain, but because this one, it does seem to be playing into tropes. It would be nice to have a better understanding of why Gothel is the way she is, where she's coming from, all this stuff. Well, well, especially because like this movie has, I think it just like depends on the kind of movie you're watching where sometimes it's like, we're not getting context for any of these characters. It's an action movie. We're giving the protagonist context and that's it. Mm -hmm. And that, at least that's like equal. But in this, this movie goes way out of its way to give you context for Flynn, Mm -hmm. which is a subversion of this kind of movie. But I think that the fact that they don't, and I love villainy, evil villains. I love that she gets stabbed. Like, great. <laughs> totally fine by me. I like, you know, I love a villainy villain. Jigsaw is my oh, husband. Game over. Game over, slam. <laughs> R.I.P. But I mean, and talk about a contextualized villain. Jigsaw, whew, they got whole movies about it. But <laughs> right. But I just think that if this movie is trying to change some of the, the standard mechanics of a movie like this by giving the love interest context not extending that to the villain feels pointed especially when there's so much baggage around that type of character that like old crone archetype totally Uh, it would it would have been nice to get some some context because otherwise yeah it just feels like a, a harmful trope that we've seen again and again but in keeping with the Disney tradition, I did really like her song. Oh, 
It's a good one. I like the visuals too. Is it? Oh, happening? it's a banger. Yeah. Oh, it's gosh. good. It's kind of tied with, I also really like Rapunzel's opening song. I did like that Flynn Rider did not get a song mm-hmm. because I didn't need it. I also, oh, first of all, Brad Garrett and Ron Perlman. Wow. I mean. Can I just say, wow. <laughs> also, this movie is so aggressively white. It is um, that scary. That was another thing I was going to say about one of the things that this movie does not subvert as far as like Disney princess fairy tale tropes. At all. The, the character design. For Rapunzel, very much she is adhering to classic Western beauty standards. She's thin, she's white, she's blonde. The male characters she's are young, young, 18 years old. Why are there so many yeah. movies about 18 year olds? What about the movies about people double that age? 36, my age. The Caitlin Durante story. The Caitlin Durante story. <laughs> um, there's plenty of those too. Anyway, my point is that all the female characters are very classically beautiful, and then men, men get men, to be different shapes, different shapes, sizes. different sizes, etc. Not different colors. Everyone nope. is white, which is like I mean, such an animation trope that we've discussed a million times at this yeah. point. Where there's no reason that there couldn't be diversity in this movie. For and I, it always really like, it always bugs me when the excuse for that is like well this movie takes place in european countries so in the area it was supposed to take place in there would not have been anyone who wasn't white and it's like um he fights a horse with a sore like with a pan like (laughs) we can suspend our disbelief clearly we are like open to (laughs) not adhering to the rules of reality like yeah haven't you ever seen brandy cinderella 1997 the best fantasy adaptation of all time (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that re- that movie really does. I, uh, I'm I'm due for a rewatch. I really love mm. that movie so much. But then I'm just like, can I cry all night again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, incri- oh my <sighs> gosh! I just got like a really nice feeling thinking about Brandy Cinderella. Oh. Tangled. Yeah, it is not diverse in any way. The most radical statement it makes on anything is that it's okay to have brown hair, which is so weird. Um, like kind of a shockingly like nothing message like you can have uh-huh. a shitty haircut sorry but i don't like rapunzel's haircut you can have a shitty haircut and brown hair and you're like well i've been doing that for you know decades at this point so <laughs> let's let's keep it let's keep it pushing all right there mm-hmm. uh, uh, i don't know yeah th- there there's no body diversity there's no diversity period and then also like i think it's very i read some criticism around how Mother Gothel is, you know, like she's taller, she's got dark hair, she has darker features than Rapunzel, and it just sort of seems like, oh, the the palest, blondest, bluest eyed woman mm-hmm. is going to be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, we wanted to add an insert here to address something that we didn't address in the original episode. Uh, a lot of listeners pointed this out. Honestly, I didn't pick up on it. So thank you to our wonderful listeners for informing us and just helping us be as intersectional in our analysis as possible. And honestly, I mean, this is a trope that we have discussed before. I just, we just did not pick up on it in this particular movie. So uh, we wanted to make sure that we were acknowledging that once our listeners pointed it out, we're like, oh yeah, I mean, 
we want to sort of dig into this trope a little more because uh, it is rife throughout animation, which is how it's come up on this show before. Right. And that is the trend in not just Disney media, but children's media in general and media on the whole yeah. of using anti-Semitic tropes in the uh, villain of the story, which is present in the character of Mother Gothel in Tangled. And a listener sent us a, a wonderful piece written by Tatum Shutt from HeyAlma.com entitled, Why Do So Many Disney Villains Look Like Me? Tatum points out that Disney has a long history of Jewish coding their villains. Mm -hmm. And it is very clear in Tangled. I'll pull a quote from this piece. Quote, Mother Gothel is the cinematic foil for the predictably wide-eyed, button-nosed Rapunzel. Gothel, that magnificent mercurial, whoops, didn't <laughs> do that word right. That's good. That's uh, good. <laughs> uh, manipulator, so miserly with her food and money, so separate from the other golden-haired kingdom, so distinctly othered. She so happens to be animated with the curly black hair and hook-nosed stereotypical to Jews. But beyond Gothel's suspicious phenotype, Tangled follows an eerily familiar story. Blood libel, an anti-Semitic canard that reverberates throughout history, accuses Jews of stealing Christian children to bake their blood into matzah. See, I didn't even know that that, like, that this is like a spot in history and tropes that I was not aware how deep this anti-Semitic trope went. Same, same. Yeah. Tatum goes on to say it was particularly prevalent in the Middle Ages when it was not uncommon for European Jews to be hunted down and murdered whenever a child went missing. Jews stealing pretty Aryan children to sustain their dark magic, unquote, as the, you know, perception yeah. uh, went. And then another thing I just didn't know was uh, Tatum Shutt goes on to describe and kind of explicitly connect the fact that, uh, you know, Disney is a horrible company that is not employing this trope out of nowhere. It is cooked into the text of Grimm's fairy tales, which mm -hmm. uh, are also wildly anti-Semitic, um, going so far as uh, they cite a lesser known, thank God, uh, story from Grimm's fairy tales called the Jew in the Brambles. So hmm. the brothers Grimm were also horrifically anti-Semitic themselves mm -hmm. and Disney, instead of subverting all of the things that they do in this movie, which is how this movie was marketed instead re-employs this ex like you cannot overstate the harm of using a trope like this. And we mm -hmm. see it in media still. And so, yeah, we really wanted to thank our listeners that sent this our way. We did not pick up on it on first viewing, and it is still an issue in animation. I mean, we've talked quite a bit about how Disney um, habitually queer codes their villains, but right. this is also an extremely worthy discussion, and um, we're sorry we missed it on the first time. Thank you to everyone who sent it. Indeed, uh, especially, again, because, you know, coding villains in a certain way queer coding them, coding them as people of color, as Disney has done in the past, yeah. um, coding them as Jewish. This consciously or subconsciously influences people's perceptions of already marginalized groups. It reinforces harmful stereotypes, all kinds of very nasty things. Yeah. Um, to the point where like we adult media critics did not pick up on it. Right. So, um, and my guess would be like, why is this happening in a movie from 
2010, as Tatum Shutt points out, like, yes, it is baked into the excellent fucking kind of source material, but why is this? But like Flynn Rider is not, you know, it, there's there's no excuse for it. Right. It's absurd. Honestly, my guess would be, I mean, Walt Disney was notoriously anti-Semitic mm-hmm. and he probably had a hand in coding early Disney villains as Jewish and since most animated Disney films follow the same formula they have a very distinct visual style all the you know princesses are kind of molded after a a very specific you know western beauty standard phenotype all of the villains are modeled after like another very specific design like earlier Disney movies just reused animation from previous movies it's just like the same movie basically over and over recycled over and over and over and yeah it's like uh, by the time Tangled came out what is the when is the last time this company sat down and said well what have we harmed that we need to scale back right so so thank you again and um yeah we wanted to include that um in this insert so Thanks again, everyone. And uh, back to the episode. Yeah. She's got dark hair. She has darker features than Rapunzel. And it just sort of seems like, oh, the the palest, blondest, bluest-eyed woman mm. is going to be the best. She can get a shitty haircut later. But she, you know. But she's got to have blonde hair for most of the movie. And then Flynn Rider bravely likes women with brown hair. Fine. <laughs> like, oh, wow. What an ally. What a king. Wow. Just like, so, get, bring in Jigsaw. I'm ready to die. <laughs> the, do, 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 do. Also, I don't think the Saw episode has come out yet on the Matreon. But oh. matrons give it like four days. And then. I think we really like not to freak anyone out but i think that we had a really special month over in the matreon our most chaotic episode to date and then saw and then saw oh we're um caitlin we need to plan this offline but that screening of saw is coming up mm-hmm. and there's still time for us to get jigsaw cosplay all right okay yes I think that because it is a 4.30 screening that there will be no one cosplaying except for us. And it'll be like that amazing tweet about the Babadook where (laughs) everyone else is just enjoying themselves. And then we're dressed as two jigsaws. Perfect. I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, baby. Anyway. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I wanted to share one more quote about specifically this movie's preoccupation with blonde hair. Mm -hmm. The link to this original story is unfortunately no longer working, but it was quoted in a Ms. Magazine piece from the time. The writer being quoted is only credited as Renee, um, but Renee of Womanist Musings. And uh, she's talking about the, um, you know, I mean, and this is technically Rapunzel canon, I guess. Like, not that... Rapunzel has to be canonically blonde or white or anything like so she writes quote as a black woman I know all too well how complicated the issue of hair can be looking at the image of tangled Rapunzel I found that I could not see beyond her long blonde hair and blue eyes 
I believe that this will also become the focal point of many girls of color. The standard of long flowing blonde hair as the epitome of femininity necessarily excludes and challenges the idea that women of color are feminine and desired. And therefore, while Disney is creating an image of Rapunzel that we are accustomed to, her rebirth in a modern day context is problematic because her body represents the celebration of white femininity. The fact that Tangled is coming on the heels of the first African-American Disney princess is indeed problematic. It makes Princess Tiana seem like an impotent token, with Rapunzel appearing to reset the standard of what princess means, and even more precisely, what womanhood means, unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I mean, we do have a whole episode on the princess and the frog that you can go back to, but a big issue that a lot of people had with that movie, and that we did as well, is that Disney's first black princess spends most of the movie as a frog. A frog. And so you, while Tiana is their first black disney princess she is also not celebrated to the extent that any other disney princess is Mm -hmm. so i i yeah i just wanted to share that as well because Mm -hmm. again this is a disney fantasy movie rapunzel didn't need to be white and blonde and skinny it just didn't need to be that way i mean so most uh people have hair wow that could become long that is so brave of you to say not everyone i don't want to be making sweeping generalizations no but i mean i i get i think that truly the only absolute must with rapunzel's character is she's got to have long hair end of list (laughs) like kind of end of qualifications Mm -hmm. everything else about her is malleable the only thing that is absolutely important to the character is that she has long hair and she's going to be trapped in a tower yeah so there you go. She could also be wearing a wig or extensions. We don't know. True. We don't know. Can you imagine the kind, if Nicole Kidman played Rapunzel, <gasps> what kind of wig she would be bringing oh. to set? Oh, my wow. word. Oh. oh, my word. Okay. Well, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> um, that's all I have. I wanted to share that quote, and that I think that that's all I've got. So shall we get to the matter at hand? The does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Yes, it does. It but does. I think only between Rapunzel and Gothel. Yes, because this movie, I think, again, in this overcorrection, like, the boys won't see a princess movie, like, panic. Mm. This movie is front-loaded with a million extra male characters. Some of them I like, some of them I don't. We got too much sure. Flynn. Flynn's animal has a huge arc. Turn him into glue. Don't care. <laughs> uh, we have the gallery of rogues that all want to be musicians and my and I kind of like them, but yeah. they are all men and they didn't have to all be men. Nope. Why can't we have some some women rogues yeah. that are yeah give Rapunzel a, a, a female friend let's get some envy rogues in the mix all these uh, the only qualification for a rogue they're gonna be roguish end of list end of list <sighs> yeah so so you really only do get two women I think talking in the whole movie because Rapunzel's mom parents are not talking I think that her dad at one point goes <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the queen <sighs> says nothing, nothing? Zippo. Damn. As far as our nipple scale, which is the the golden standard, speaking of golden hair, I see you're not going to have a reaction to that. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, I was looking at a picture of Zachary Levi. Is that embarrassing? (laughs) 
Wow. Okay, sorry. I did zone out for a second because I was looking at Zachary Levi's Wikipedia page. Okay, kill me. So, no, I was can just... Can we do it again? Um, Wait, what did you... Can you do it again? It's not worth repeating because no, it's not even a again, good joke. Please. I just said... Spe- I said... It was like... And I also phrased it wrong. I should have said, like, speaking okay. of golden hair, the golden uh-huh. standard of <gasps> movie analysis scales. The nipple scale. Meanwhile, I'm being... You're looking at pictures of men. Horny on Wikipedia. Wow. Good Lord. I know. Betrayal I know. much? Setting the clock back yet again. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. okay. Yes, I do agree. This is the golden standard. Yes, thank you so much. This is the um, golden ratio. Wow. What is that? The golden ratio is a specific number. I forget what it is, but it it, it shows up a lot in nature. Like a, a snail's shell awesome. has the golden ratio. Oh yes, and it's like and 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 like conches and shit. That's yeah. fun. Leaves, I like etc. Leaves. Shout out nature. You know. Anyway, <laughs> you sound it. So uh, the nipple scale, uh-huh. zero to five nipples based on looking at the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. I'm tempted to just sort of, and I know this feels like cheating, but I kind of want to give it like a split down the middle. Mm 2.5. I do think it is pushing the needle forward by a little bit as far as Disney princess fairy tale movies go, because it is subverting some of the harmful tropes we've seen of the past. Mm-hmm. Especially because when I think of damsel in distress, my go-to person that I think of is Rapunzel. It's like Sleeping Beauty and Rapunzel. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even... The only thing I knew about like the Rapunzel story, because I've never read the Grimm's Brothers fairy tale. Fuck them. Uh, had to like look on Wikipedia to see what the actual story was, because the only thing I knew was that... There's a lady with long hair in a tower and a prince climbs her hair to save her. Like very, very classic damsel in distress narrative. So because this movie, you know, takes that premise, but then gives her a lot more agency, lets her save herself, lets her save Flynn. I keep saying Finn, whatever. His name is Flynn, probably. Except it's Eugene. I forgot to mention that in the recap, but his real name is Eugene. (sighs) Who cares? Flynn, uh, she saves him. She saves herself. She has far more agency than your classic damsel in distress character. Mm-hmm. But there's all these other things, as we've discussed, that, you know, don't push the needle as far ahead as we would have liked. But it is kind of like a stepping stone movie, I feel. Yes. It paves the way for Moana, for example. Sure. So with that in mind, I'll give it two and a half nipples and I'll give one to Rapunzel love Rapunzel I think a lot of Rapunzel I mean this I love her character but a lot of it is just like wow Mandy Moore she's special I feel like she's even though she just was on the most famous tv show for like 10 years and I never watched it Uh, I feel like she's still underrated I love Mandy uh, Moore yeah I agree anyways um I'll give one nipple two to Gothel because I feel like she is potentially misunderstood slash I love a, f- a female villain slash I wish she had been more contextualized slash there was just like things about her character that I they didn't even need to contextualize more. her in a way that made her seem nicer you just had to give us something right although maybe people will be like you don't it's a fairy tale villains are just evil for the sake of being evil I don't know. I still, it's just, I feel complicated and I feel like I'll still be, my feelings about this will like continue evolving as 
we examine similar relationship dynamics. Yes. Point is, I would have liked more for for her character. Yes. My half nipple, I will give to the Paul F. Tompkins little old Paul, guy who Paul, wears a Paul, diaper Paul. and looks like a little Cupid with a bow and arrow at the end of the movie. Shout out as always to Mr. Paul. Paul. He's the best yeah. best rogue in the gallery as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and, and we had Brad Garrett in there, okay? True. There, uh, Caitlin, I, before I give you my rating, I did just want to say I just sent you the first look at one of the two dueling Pinocchio movies, and it looks so bad. It looks so ugly. Scary. They've, they made him look way too much like the Disney animated Ew. Pinocchio. It looks like a robot chicken sketch. It literally looks like robot chicken. And oh. I, lo- I mean, and as a former employee, I love robot chicken, but that's like this, this has like a billion dollar budget. Why does it look like that? scary why does it look like that horrid and for more on that you can go to the matreon in november for our (laughs) month that we've already roped off to be the dueling pinocchios month del toro versus zemeckis do we already know who's going to win obviously (laughs) robert zemeckis i don't know something happened something happened there that happened and he's something a witch put a curse on him and now he's really (laughs) bad at his job but um (laughs) Anyways, that didn't happen to Del Toro. No. All right. I'm going to give it two and a half nipples as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that this movie uh, pushes some boundaries in interesting ways. I think that it like actually kind of regresses the princess genre in certain ways by mm-hmm. giving Flynn so much agency. I think that you could accomplish the same thing by having Rapunzel... She what should cut off her made own Rapunzel hair. an action hero. <clears throat> she should cut off her own hair. But also it's like, did Princess Fiona not learn like karate while trapped in the tower? Yes. Like, <laughs> I think that there were ways to, even if you're going to have Flynn be a bigger character, okay. Mm. But like, you know, there, there are ways to make Rapunzel more of an action character. If you worry that there are demographics that aren't going to be interested in a princess movie where the princess is not actiony mm-hmm. make the princess even more actiony i think that they went partially that way with rapunzel but they would always fall back on like flynn had to be validating that she was good at combat he had to right. validate that a pan was a decent weapon and like he and he's the swashbuckler why couldn't have she been she yeah she had all the time in the world to learn swashbuckling <laughs> I, I mean, it's like, and we can go back and forth on that because it's like, she yeah. couldn't have technically, but like, whatever, right. Princess Fiona did it, okay? <laughs> Not to pin two women against each other again. Wow. Two women, okay. This has to be over. <laughs> okay. But I, I did like the movie. I think it's really sweet. I would kill off the horse. So horse isn't getting any nipples from me. That's for damn sure. I like how your solution is kill the horse, not just like write him out of the story. No, I think he should fall off a cliff in the first two minutes. (laughs) He does fall out of a very high up tree, but somehow survives. But he's fine. I was watching some horses yesterday. Don't ask. I was was just sort of spying on a little ranch and I was watching some horses roughhousing and it was honestly very scary. Hmm. I'm becoming a horse girl and thinking about taking horse lessons. So of course I'm going to be observing horses wow i did see the movie nope recently so that it's a big year for horses i can't explain why (laughs) but something is going on horses are back in a big way (laughs) um i saw nope for the second time yesterday and i was like exactly exactly Mm. horses 
they're back. Mm-hmm. They're back. Um, but not this one. This one should die. Um, <laughs> I do not share this feeling, but go on. I'm pro horse. I'm anti Maximus having a whole ass arc mm-hmm. when Rapunzel doesn't even get to kill the villain. Hello? Fair. Um, True. So, okay. One nipple to Rapunzel. I'm also going to give one nipple to Gothel because she's a solid villain. And I think that there should have been a little more done with her. If we're going to flesh out tropey characters, let's flesh them all out. Don't Mm -hmm. go halfway. Mm -hmm. And I'll give my last half nipple to what was the chameleon's name? Oh, Pascal. I loved Pascal. Um, So I'm going to give it to him. Mm -hmm. And... On that, oh, uh, last thing. I, obviously, the, this movie—not obviously, but you could guess—that this movie was written and directed by, by men, 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 men. So many men. Um, mm-hmm. However, one of the there's two male directors, as there usually is on animated movies. Um, mm-hmm. But one of them, Byron Howard, is an openly gay man. Um, he has uh, been out for many years, which is pretty huge in the entertainment industry of that time in general and also in animation as well because animation Mm -hmm. is double prejudiced in a lot of ways i don't know why but i know Mm. it's true Mm. and he also would go on to (laughs) direct uh zootopia oops and um and kanto which we will be covering on this show rather soon Mm -hmm. um so you know there's that also dan fogelman who wrote the screenplay and i i think had a hand in um casting mandy moore later created this is us which mandy moore is the lead of so without tangled we wouldn't have that really famous show i've never watched wow same makes you think in conclusion this movie is pretty good i think if you're just watching it to watch a movie i really like it like yeah it's a fun romp of a movie if you're watching it for practical cast purposes it's a real mixed bag but as as a movie i think it's really fun and i would probably watch i think i will watch it again same yeah i concur so here we are ruining another movie it's kind of our thing but also if you like it and you just want to watch it for fun totally that's what we're gonna do do in yeah. the future <laughs> um, so that's Ooh. tangled we hope mm-hmm. that everyone who's been requesting it for over half a decade um is happy uh hope you're happy i'm actually kind of <laughs> glad we waited to do it because i feel like we we are we now have better tools we are better equipped yeah exactly. i i could see a, a 2017 version of this episode that um i would stand We'd by be embarrassed about yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, so as always, thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this. Um, we've got an exciting, let's say, rogues gallery of movies and guests <gasps> coming up in the fall. Mm-hmm. We're sort of laying out our fall schedule, and it's exciting. You're going to be smiling, laughing, crying, learning, all of loving. Them. Wow. <gasps> Gasp. Also, it's true. very soon on the Matreon, that Saw episode that we kept hinting at. So damn right. scoot on over there to patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. I think we are kind of in our golden era of the Matreon right now. Oh, um, yeah. We're really turning out some bangers. I mean, here and there. Good golden fun. hair, golden standard, golden era. Boom. Look forward to the Pinocchio Wars over there and (laughs) all of your favorite movies and guests over here on the main feed. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch us on the World Wide Web 
on Instagram and Twitter at Bechtelcast. Um, as Caitlin just said, you can join our Matreon, five bucks a month for two bonus episodes and a backlog of over 100 episodes. Hello? Wow, impressive much? Now that's what I call content. Um, <laughs> that's five bucks a month over at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. And then, of course, you've got our merch at tpublic.com slash thebechtelcast, where you can get such classics as wet scabs or dry scabs. Yes. I mean, uh, team beetle juice. Need we say more? And <laughs> maybe, and, and we, I, this fall, I am going to be making some new merch designs for the holiday season, not holiday themed, but for you to purchase for the holiday season. Ah, and so, yeah. you know, the wheels are turning. Minion come. <gasps> um that's my idea so Maybe. far think about that uh <laughs> as far as i've gotten um but you know mensa we'll come up with something <laughs> i have a master's degree we we, we got this mensa we master's degree this. it's gonna it's gonna all come together um okay all right well, game over game over oh my gosh okay not that not that tangled isn't a great movie but no movie ends better than saw one game over Slam. <laughs> bye 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 bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.